Hey everyone, I just want to take a minute to tell you about my Amazon number one best-selling book, Culture of Excellence. How do culture and leadership impact the performance of a team? For the past 30 years, one organization in baseball has stood taller than all of the rest, the New York Yankees. In Culture of Excellence, Colin Sumelia, that's me, takes us inside baseball's most successful franchise to uncover compelling and useful lessons in leadership. Culture of Excellence is transformative in its premise. It shares strategies you will want to apply and knowledge you can acquire to effectively improve your team and motivate your people. With three foundational pillars, you can become a more effective leader and build a culture of excellence through stories from the Yankees. And you can purchase your copy of Culture of Excellence from any online retailer. There are hard copy, ebook, and audiobook versions available. You can also purchase a hard copy of the book directly from me, and I will personalize it for you and send you swag items like a bookmark and a sticker. Head over to www.talent409.com backslash culture dash of dash excellence to view all of your options and learn how you can discover your talent altitude through my book, Culture of Excellence. Sorry to interrupt, but I want to help you get fit. Christine here from Sweat With Sods. Being at home has a lot of people in a rut with their workouts, but you don't have to be. My Hit at Home workouts require no equipment and can be done in 30 minutes or less. And if HIT isn't for you, I also design custom programs that can be done virtually, in person, or a combination of both. I put my years of experience teaching classes and personal training into all of my programs. I've worked with lots of people and helped them achieve very different goals. So what are you waiting for? Head to sweatwithstats.com today. And don't forget that as a listener to this podcast, you can get a discount with code DYNAMIC at checkout. Can't wait to hear from you. And now, back to the show. Welcome on in to a very different type of episode here on the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. This episode features guest Hannah Lichtenstein. And for those who don't know, Hannah is also a fellow podcaster and host of the Run Along podcast, where she is the queen of narrative podcasting. And because of that, she has inspired me to figure out how to put out a really compelling narrative podcast. All of my podcasts to this point have been the conversation style. You hear the questions I ask the guest. You hear the response that the guest gives. So this is definitely going to be a more produced podcast than what you're used to, but I think I've come up with something really good for you, the listener, and for Hannah to honor her and her work on Run Along Podcast and everything else that she is doing as she enters into the world of journalism. So who is Hannah? Well, she is an only child, and she loves soccer. But that's all I'm going to say about this. Let's let her start to tell the rest of the story. Um, well, I'm an only child, and now everybody's going to start shrieking. <laughs> yeah, don't you want to just keep it? I'm an only child. Um, my, I think my parents picked up like every sort of parenting baby book that they could really get their hands on. You know, I think that you're always a little bit more cautious, a little bit more paranoid 
when it comes to the first. Uh, we'll see how you're doing with that third or fourth kid. You like forget to videotape any of their milestones or anything. You know? Yeah, and I think also being an only child there, the social component for me was really important to my parents. Um, you know, putting me really to see what my interests were. They were, they were involving me in a lot of activities, but I think they also wanted me to make sure that I got along with others. Cause I maybe wasn't naturally getting that sort of, um, I guess those group settings at home and all the, uh, negative stereotypes about only children. They were, they really wanted to avoid, <laughs> And I think it, it's something that's really important too to point out is that my like five, six year olds time when a lot of kids are being put into sport, that dovetailed for me, born in 94, with when the US women's national team won the 1999 World Cup. And so I think that had planted a seed in my parents' mind as well. I think, you know, you were getting more and more uh, youth teams sort of picking up, even if it was just the parents that were that were coaches. And that was played at the Rose Bowl, which was only a couple miles from where from where I live. So they put me in soccer and it wasn't something that I loved right away. It wasn't something I latched on to right away. Um, I don't quite know what flipped in me, but I became I was I was bad my first year or, you know, was was not too interested. But then all of a sudden uh, I just threw myself into it and um, definitely always been like a little a little perfectionist, a little um, uh, just very, can get very obsessive and very passionate, um, which has proven to be such a wonderful thing um, in, in this case as well, but also had its downsides. But I think that with soccer, it was something I just, I, I wanted to get better at foot skills. I wanted to, I didn't need a lot of space in my backyard. And yeah, I just became, I just fell in love with it. It was it was weird. I, I didn't have any history. I mean, my parents played sports. My mom's definitely the more athletic one. But I think I kind of kicked off a bit of more of a trend of, of loving sports, loving playing sports in the family. Um, and yeah, obviously, it kind of took that progression of, okay, she's now getting better. Let's put her in the travel teams and specializing very early. Uh, I did try to play basketball for a while. I did love basketball, but something that's interesting about California is soccer, high school soccer, uh, and like younger soccer tends to be a winter sport um, because we don't have seasons. So that really conflicted with my ability to play basketball as I grew up. Um, but I always kind of wonder in an alternate reality if I if I had done both, maybe how things would have would have been different in good and bad ways. But carried me on to college, uh, soccer did, and had such a transformative uh, student athlete experience on the on the Swarthmore women's soccer team, a very small liberal arts college outside of Philadelphia, and then on to one year abroad. Yeah, played. Uh, was kind of sending cover letters, resumes out my senior uh, spring, not hearing anything and thought that I could, you know, soccer had taken me on so many, um, to so many amazing places already. Let's see if it could take me on one more adventure. Your body's only going to last in this condition for so long. (laughs) You don't need to maybe waste it sitting at a desk if you can avoid it for a year or two. And so I went on to play soccer in Sweden, which was an incredibly, you know, um, it was an awesome experience personally, athletically, 
all the ways that, you know, a 23, 24 year old hopes that they can grow outside their comfort zone. And um, I think I might've played one more season somewhere in Europe, had it not been for this pandemic, we're still, still knee deep in and um, pivoted to turn my love for sport and my love for, for storytelling, which was also kind of, I think, developing in a separate silo during all of this soccer um, passion and those things kind of trying to merge them together in grad school right now. Besides the fact that Hannah took a subtle opportunity to brag about California's great weather and her time growing up on the best coast, one really interesting part in her story is the fact that she didn't always love soccer and she didn't know that soccer was going to take her all these different places that she just told us about. So how did that script get flipped? Yeah, I think there are definitely multiple forces at play, and I'll, I'll make sure I give credit to those. And my mom will always tell, take credit for, I think sometimes this happens with people where maybe someone else notices something in you before you can fully become aware of it. And it must have been a camp, you know, one of those camps that my parents signed me up for, a soccer day camp. And I think a counselor did kind of say, like, your daughter can can be really good, or maybe said something that I again, I wasn't like loving it at that point. But I'm sure once that idea got into my mom's head that that maybe wanted, she tried to see if we could stick with it, with it a little bit more, you combine that with the perfectionism. And you also combine that with, again, this, this only child attention schedule, I, I really could be like so single-minded uh, once I did start to latch on to something. So I think that that became more important down the road as I did start to, um, yeah, embrace soccer more. It wasn't like I was getting dragged off to a sibling's baseball uh, tournament or, or anything like that. And I think that once they started to see me kind of like it a little bit more, maybe it was just something that I was able to get good at because of all the uh, the training Maybe it was because of what that that coach said. I did start to to like it a bit more, asked to be signed up for more things, and then it kind of just took off, I think, with the only child, uh, yeah, attention. <laughs> All right. Now we've got a story. Plus, we're starting to see the personality come out in Hannah. And a really interesting moment in our conversation is when she realizes that there's a trait about her that sometimes she sees as a flaw, and that may be the case in certain moments, but how she's able to use that flaw to her strengths is also what's really cool about it. No, I think I have like a problem. I Not a problem. I definitely, single-mindedness, not everything is a problem, too negative. Single-mindedness, I definitely see it as like, I have difficulties compartmentalizing. Like I can't, I need to get a podcast episode done before I can move on to the next thing. Or even if I was like, you know, having a little bit of a tiff with someone on my soccer team, it was like, we need to resolve this before I can, can transition um, and we can focus on soccer. And yeah, I think it's kind of allowed me to, to really finish things when I start them. Um, but also it can be hard to pull me away when sometimes I need to be pulled away. <laughs> Finish what you start. A lesson I think we can all take away from this conversation. Now, as young Hannah is learning to love the sport of soccer, 
she's also realizing that soccer helps her grow in many different ways and gives her so much in her life. Uh, definitely confidence, uh, no matter where, where I am um, in that space. This is a, a huge one for me, and maybe it seems tangential, but like it helped me discover my sexuality. I had a high school boyfriend for four and a half years, and I ended up falling in love with someone on my team. And I think that the women's soccer space really, and like still today, whether it's like Megan Rapino or Kelly O'Hara, like it's really just given me so many people to like look up to and yeah, just see myself in like when I get older, I guess. Um, that's been really, really special to me and just allowed me to, I guess, gain a sense of comfort in something that was incredibly scary and uncomfortable in the beginning. I think it's allowed me connect to connect with my parents more. Um, I know there's a lot of discussions about sports and parenting, and I won't pretend to be an expert on those things, but certainly it gave us time together that I cherish and I still look back on when they talk about the game that the, that was so cold that they, you know, wish that they had been sitting in their car and that whole Jewish guilt trip um, or whatever. <laughs> uh, we really were able to, to bond, to, to bond over all that, all the, the hours to, to club practice and the, the list goes on, as you know, I could, I could keep going, but. Well, Hannah, I'm going to cut you off there because where I want to take the story now is to talk a little bit more about the identity piece as a soccer player. And this is something that Hannah specializes in. So let's hear what she has to say about the topic. Yeah, absolutely. Any sort of little project I had as a second grader, it was going to be about soccer. Um, of course, it was that jock mentality being in high school. Um, I loved getting to wear my gear in high school and college, not having to think about any other clothes. Yeah, anybody who gifted me a present in my in my circle uh, for any holiday, my birthday, it was always going to be soccer related. And it was just so top of mind for for me and for for everybody else. And I think, yeah, it's it's interesting how other people can help reinforce an identity too, not even, not even consciously. So definitely it was, it was the main, main identifier for me. I think it's safe to say that a lot of times it's easy for someone to point out how it's a negative thing to have an identity that is so wrapped up in a sport, for example, like we talk about so often on this podcast or in your work in a professional career. But there's a lot of positives that come from understanding who you are, and where your strengths lie. And those positives helped Hannah in many of her transitions throughout her life. Yeah, I feel like something that's been so amazing about soccer for me is that it is this constant. And no matter how different the en environment was in college and all the shifts that were happening and, and leaving home and making new friends and new way of uh, going to class, etc., I still had soccer and I still, I really was able to ground myself in that. And same with Sweden, uh, not knowing the language, uh, all the really foreign kind of scary things that can come with, with moving abroad. Um, but still soccer was that sort of that universal where I knew that I could do this and I was good at these things about soccer. 
and I could be understood through through that sort of language I guess and that there's yeah you just there's commonalities there you know even though we might call it soccer and they call it football like still how you play the game very fundamentally uh, doesn't shift too much from from continent to continent the only thing that's constant for all athletes is that your career eventually will end and for most of us that is a difficult transition but how we handle it can significantly impact and determine our future. It's shifted so much for me in the last uh, three years. I I really, really struggled. And I I don't think I've explicitly ever really dove into it with too many people, but I really just struggled watching my former team, my college team. I just was so jealous. I was so... I just, it, it ate me alive that I was not a part of that anymore. And I think that it kind of, those were my best friends. I wanted them to do well. I, I, I think I was starting to judge myself. Like, why are you having all these, these, such these uh, dark, darker feelings about this experience, this team, these people that you want all the great, the greatest things for like what happened. Um, so really I was, that immediate, like the rawness of just leaving, it was hard to be around soccer. And I, I also went through the very difficult, um, but very, um, I guess, informative experience of coaching at my alma mater right after. This was in a little bit of a, a period between when I graduated and then when I went off to Sweden. I coached at my alma mater, which Again, I think was a little bit too close for me at the time. I, I had just finished up being a player there. So, um, yeah, I, I think it just showed me that sometimes to really heal and really kind of take enough space to look back and, I guess, do the work through the processing that you need to do. You can't, yeah, you can't be so close up to it all. Um, and I think that was another really wonderful thing about Sweden was even though I was playing soccer, um, I really think of the college uh, experience as something that is that I needed to take a step back from. Um, and now, yeah, I'm able to watch soccer. Sometimes I'll get those moments where I think it's it's interesting. I the, the moments I miss it most are when I see how exhausted someone is after a game. That's when it really connects back to me. And I remember what that feeling is like. Don't we all, as athletes, know what that feeling's like? If you leave it all out in the field, win or lose, have a good game or a bad game, I don't know that there's a more gratifying thing that you can do in this life. And leaving it out on the field is something that has impacted Hannah enough that we talked about it multiple times in our conversation. I think there's just something so like pure and beautiful about giving your all and need... like needing to be carried off the field almost like that's how how much you emptied yourself into the time you were given even within a game and within larger experiences so it's obvious how much the game of soccer means to hannah and we've learned that space was one of those elements that helped her in her transition but unfortunately there were still some difficulties and some challenges to overcome I don't think I was very intentional about checking in with my feelings at that at that point of my life. I think 
I was very caught up in this experience is over. You're a graduate. Let's, you know, there are next chapters, there are next things ahead. And I just don't think that I ever really sat with and let let myself explore like what it was that was making this so hard. Uh, Maybe it was too scary for me to do that. Maybe I was looking at my peers, people in my class that graduated with me um, in in soccer and seeing that they seemed to not really find this uh, difficult in the same ways that I was. That comparison, I just don't think that I gave myself the grace, gave myself the, yeah, the time to really say, Hannah, what's going through your head right now? What are you feeling? And why do you feel like you're feeling this? How can we nurture this feeling instead of just trying to push, push, push and, you know, get get a job or do whatever is supposed to be next? And that's the ultimate question, right? What is supposed to be next? How are we supposed to transition And the reality is, if we want to continue to survive on this earth, we will have to figure it out sooner rather than later. What's interesting about Hannah's story is that it only took her remembering a connection from her childhood and a family connection at that, which would open the door to the next steps in her life. I've always loved history. Um, I think that's really where we can go back to the learning about stories and the importance of, of hum, like, yeah, human experience. Um, I think that that started with my dad. I know that you, you mentioned the connection with your dad through baseball as being important and getting uh, connected to something early on. Uh, yeah. My dad is a huge civil war buff. I think that if he had the opportunity to be a reenactor uh, in Appalachia right now, that is where he would be. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I love history and I know it's so it's so um, not what we should do to talk about left brain, right brain. You're either good at numbers and stuff or you're good at reading and writing. But I definitely was always like the reading and writing type of kid. And so those history lessons, those just loving to read. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a bookworm, but I definitely always enjoyed enjoyed reading. And it was the summer going into my junior year that I started to get into podcasts. It really uh, was, I had a boring internship that involved a lot of Excel boxes where, you know, at the end of the day, I could close my eyes and all I could see were Excel sheets. And um, I started to get into podcasts and those were Radiolab, um, This American Life, uh, even Serial, of course, the, the classic. And so much of the podcast, now I listen to business podcast, all sorts of podcasts, but I feel like what I was loving and uh, couldn't get enough of were those, yeah, just deeper dives into a person's life or what, or the human experience as a whole. It would really just was captivating to me. And I think it all just kind of um, intensified a love that I already had. And um, yeah, podcasts are, are something that get me through through it all uh pandemic times and not so I think that's kind of my multi-dimensional answer of of kind of falling in love with storytelling storytelling everyone loves to do it few people are actually good at it luckily for Hannah she had a niche in an idea of how she wanted to tell stories that would captivate her audience 
what I really seem to think is like my niche is uh, stories in sports that maybe don't get as much uh, spotlight as they as they need to. You know, we talk about retired athletes and how this transition is not um, not discussed a lot. It's it's something that we need to to keep talking about. So definitely retired athletes telling telling those stories kind of made me have that epiphany. And I do have a particular interest in women's sports, um, in soccer in the U.S., which is not an, an untold story necessarily, but it is a bit of an underdog uh, when it comes to the to the bigger sports here. So I think just giving more of a platform to sports communities. Um, voices in sports that are maybe on the fringe or are those those underdogs. Maybe it's a bit of a cliche, but in extremes, like we find these essentials, right? I, I, we're noticing this in the pandemic. This is an extreme, but in this extreme, we're forced to come back to things that are essential about, about living, about um, being a human. And I guess I think of like these untold stories in a way as extremes or at, you know, they are un- uncommon. You know, I, I, I always reference uh, this episode I did with um, a kid who was on the worst high school football team in the nation his senior year. And he was just losing, you know, 72 zero things like that game after game. No one can relate to that. <laughs> not, not no one, but it's a very, um, yeah, you know, on one end of the spectrum, uh, this small town in Missouri, him being this, this, yeah, he had played all the positions on his team that season, that sort of thing. But I think everybody at the same time, even though it is so unrelatable, there's that picking apart. He, he was able to find silver linings through that through that all that hardship and all that ridiculousness and I think that is where that like nugget is what relates to readers and what draws readers or listeners in is that thing that transcends the sporting uh situation I guess and so that's always what I'm looking for is especially with underdogs sports has all sorts of underdogs and I think that maybe it's a little bit of an American thing, like starting from one lower place and kind of building yourself up and, and reaching a pinnacle. Like we, we really love that. We, we love reading those stories and hearing those things because we see that in us or we want to believe that that can be true for us too. And now we reach the point in our story where you know quite a bit about Hannah, but one last very interesting turn is how Hannah now is being able to learn how to navigate in life after sport through soccer. This is the same Hannah who grew up loving the sport after she didn't really have much passion for it. This is the same Hannah who needed to take space and time away from the sport when she was done playing in order to move on. And now she's finding in her life after sport that all those lessons in soccer and all those great moments and all those moments of adversity have helped her become the woman that she is today and will shape the future that she wants to have. Yeah. And I think that was like one of the things that was so hard about the transition was I wasn't making, I really thought that those qualities that made me a good soccer player, those qualities that soccer had given me were really confined to that space or I, I, that's why it was so scary and so, 
yeah, upsetting, frustrating. I, I just didn't know. I felt like I had to develop a whole other new skill set now that I didn't have soccer. Um, but of course, um, the confidence, the the work ethic, the, you know, goal setting, all of that. Yeah, it, it wasn't an overnight thing. It's really been these these uh, three three years where I've started to we you and I on my podcast I think we talked about how sports should be used as this measuring stick for how it's okay to use your sporting experience and think okay I was happy doing this and I want to try to find that same level of happiness in the other things that I do or I know what it's like to work hard and to need to get carried off the field or to conflict do conflict resolution as a captain. Um, of course I, those, all those things I'm seeing more and more as I'm away from being a soccer player, I'm seeing all these similarly, uh, structured or fundamental situations, um, moments that at their core, again, are not that different than what soccer asked of me. And there you have it. The ability to find nirvana in life after sport, to find those same feelings that you got when you're playing the sport that you love. That should be the measuring stick. And that is what Hannah is using to ensure that she is happy in her life after sport and that it continues to compel her to tell amazing stories on her podcast and in her future journalism career. To learn more about Hannah, you can follow her on Twitter. You can also follow the Run Along podcast on both Twitter and Instagram, or check out any number of episodes on your favorite listening platform. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Dynamic Leaders podcast. And until next time, take it easy.